Welcome to the Truth Across Time podcast. I'm your host, Sheila Farmer. As a lifelong student of history and English, I enjoy learning about the cultures, customs, and lifestyles in the Bible. Please join me as we explore the fascinating world of biblical events and the people involved. You'll see that the people of the Bible had concerns, triumphs and tragedies, joys and sorrows, successes and failures, not too different from our own. But because the Bible is God's Word, we can learn spiritual, eternal truths while looking at those people. Now let's go on this adventure and explore the truths that cross the limits of time and location. Welcome to our podcast, Truth Across Time. I hope you enjoyed our last study, Moments from Matthew, and I pray it was an encouragement to you. I'm excited to start a new series with you. And in this series, we'll be taking a look at many of the prophets in the Bible and learning about the times in which they lived. We'll study the themes of their books and even look at some of their specific prophecies. You'll see that many of those prophecies are very relevant to us today and are even important to understanding what's happening in our world today. I've titled this series, Visiting with the Prophet. Before we plunge in, let's look at what a prophet is. Most people understand that a prophet tells of people and events that are to come in the future. But a prophet does more than that. He or she is responsible for proclaiming to people whatever message God has given them. It may very well be a telling of future events, but it may also be a warning or an assessment of what presently is. Many prophecies have a double application. They not only tell of present conditions or events or people and what's coming in the near future, but they often speak of things that will occur in the more distant future, sometimes several centuries later. Our English word prophet comes from a Greek word that literally means one who speaks forth. In Hebrew, it's a little harder to pin down because several words can be used, and the choice of the specific word is determined by usage and not by the root or the history of one specific word. Among the most frequently used Hebrew words is nabi, spelled N-A-B-I. This refers to one who declares a message on behalf of a superior. That means that the prophet is to proclaim and interpret revelation from God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, God says that a prophet will declare all that God commands him. Throughout history, there have been true prophets and false prophets. In ancient times, some men spoke in the name of many other gods, but some false prophets spoke falsely in Yahweh's or Jehovah's name. In Old Testament times, how did one identify the true prophets? versus the false prophets? Well, first of all, there was the issue of fulfillment. Did what they say come to pass? What about those prophecies that pertain to people or events far into the future? Their credibility as a prophet was judged according to the soundness of their doctrine, plus whatever events did come to pass in their lifetimes. Some false prophets were simply deceived people, but some were motivated by money, and they knew they were speaking falsehoods. They claimed to tell the future in exchange for money 
and whatever else they could gain by speaking. If one was proven to be a false prophet, according to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, the false prophet was to be put to death. So, people claiming to be prophets were generally pretty careful about what they said, at least in Israel. In the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Scriptures, of the prophets who have books named for them, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are called the major prophets. The others are known as minor prophets. Major and minor prophets in this context do not refer to more important and less important. It simply means that the major prophets wrote more extensively than the minor prophets. It has nothing to do with importance. Moses was a prophet, and no books are named for him, although he is credited with writing the first five books of the Bible. This week, let's take a look at one of the major prophets, Isaiah. The literal meaning of Isaiah is Yahweh, or Jehovah, is salvation, or the source of salvation. Isaiah is called the son of Amos, A-M-O-Z, 13 times in the Old Testament. This probably indicates that his father was a prominent man. It's commonly believed that Isaiah was an educated man and that he moved in what would have been in his day aristocratic circles. He lived in Jerusalem and his wife was a prophetess. This is confirmed in the third verse of chapter 8 of the book of Isaiah. They had two sons whose names were important. I'm pretty sure I won't pronounce them correctly, so I'll spell them. Their first son was named Shear Jashub, that's spelled S-H-E-A-R-J-A-S-H-U-B, which literally means a remnant shall return. Their second son was named Maher Shalal Hash Baz. That's a mouthful, isn't it? It's spelled M-A-H-E-R-S-H-A-L-A-L-H-A-S-H-B-A-Z. And that name literally means quickly to the plunder or speed the spoil, as in spoils of war. These names were reminders of critical themes in Isaiah's prophecies about the nation of Israel. Just how many years Isaiah prophesied is debated. Some say it was about 40 years, while others say it lasted closer to 60 years. I believe it was probably closer to 60 years, because Isaiah received his first vision in the year that King Uzziah died, which was sometime around 750 B.C. Now, some Bible scholars say it was around 739 B.C., And then Isaiah was killed by King Manasseh, who didn't come to the throne until about 697 B.C. This would have been a period of roughly 53 to 55 years. And we don't know that King Manasseh had Isaiah killed in the first year of his reign. It was more likely that it was at least a couple years later, after Isaiah had had time to speak out against the idolatry and the wicked practices of Manasseh. By the way, it's almost certain that Isaiah was one of Manasseh's grandfathers, but that didn't stop Manasseh from having Isaiah murdered by having him sawn in two. 
Manasseh was a hideously wicked man, even to the point of engaging in human sacrifice. He had become immersed in idol worship and was completely antagonistic to the worship of the true God, the God of the Jews. Let's review just a little to set the scene. The United Nation of Israel, under King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, had split in two when Rehoboam, Solomon's son, came to the throne. The northern kingdom, comprised of ten tribes, kept the name of Israel. The southern kingdom, comprised of only the tribe of Judah, was known as Judah or Judea. That split happened sometime around 930 B.C. Isaiah lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, in Jerusalem, in the 700s B.C., roughly 700 years or so before the birth of Jesus. The northern kingdom of Israel had fallen into idol worship, generally abandoning the worship of the true God. Certainly, there were some individuals who didn't do this, but the nation as a whole did. The northern kingdom had a succession of very wicked kings. God warned them time and time again to repent and turn back to him, but they didn't. As a result, the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded and conquered by the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C. This happened in Isaiah's lifetime, and he would have been very aware of the details, although he had warned of this long before it actually happened. He was one of those prophets who had put out warning after warning. That northern kingdom lasted only about 150 years, maybe a little more. The southern kingdom of Judah, where Isaiah lived, lasted about another 135 to maybe 150 years. This southern kingdom also had mostly wicked kings, and the nation had become generally apostate, turning from the worship of the true God. However, Judah did have four good kings over the course of its life as a country, and there were times of repentance and revival. Those periods were what prolonged the life of the nation. However, because the southern kingdom of Judah had been rebellious and had become so wicked, it also faced judgment. It was invaded and conquered by the Babylonian Empire in 586 B.C. This happened probably about a hundred or so years after Isaiah's death. But God had given Isaiah visions of what was to come, and he preached hard and he prophesied to Judah for years, desperately trying to get the rulers and the people to repent and to turn back to God. He lived long enough to see one period of revival during King Hezekiah's reign, which lasted for about 18 years. However, once Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh became king. And yes, this was the evil king Manasseh who had Isaiah killed. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are set roughly in Isaiah's time, the 700s B.C. Those chapters deal with the judgments coming on Israel, on Judah, and even on some other Middle Eastern nations. They are calls to repentance and warnings of things to come, the destruction to come. Chapters 40 through 66 take a different tone. Those chapters speak of a time of restoration, 
of the mercy of God, of deliverance from sin and captivity. These chapters also speak of the Deliverer, Jesus. Chapter 53 of Isaiah is a perfect picture of Jesus' suffering to fulfill the role of Deliverer, Messiah, and Savior. It's one of the most beautiful yet heart-wrenching pictures of Jesus' suffering and his gift of deliverance to those who believe and trust in him that you'll ever read. The book of Isaiah is often called the fifth gospel. Why? Because Isaiah, more than any other prophet, gives information about the birth, the ministry, and the death of Jesus, which didn't come until about 700 years later. Here are just a couple of the things that Isaiah had to say about the subject. One, he predicted that a virgin would give birth to a child. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel literally means God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 are familiar to many of us. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 contain these words. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them, a light has shined. This next verse I'm reading is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and part of verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In the New Testament, in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 17, we're told that this is the passage that Jesus read. In verse 21, Jesus told the people in the synagogue where he was reading, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is when he proclaimed his identity to them. There are many other prophecies in the book of Isaiah concerning the Messiah, the one who would come to deliver people from the power and the penalty of sin, the one who would eventually establish an everlasting kingdom ruled by God himself. I strongly recommend that you read and study the book of Isaiah. Not only will it inform you about the dangers and the penalties that come from rejecting the true and the living God, 
both for individuals and for nations, but it will also encourage you in knowing that alongside justice and holiness, God also exercises mercy and restoration to those who will turn to him and serve him in spirit and in truth. The book of Isaiah is a book of dire warnings and a book of great hope and encouragement and promise. In no way can I do justice to the book of Isaiah in this podcast. This is meant simply as a broad overview and to hopefully pique your interest so that you'll read it for yourself. Isaiah was a great man, a great prophet, and he stood for the truth of God in a country and in times that were basically apostate and evil. God gave him strong messages for the people, people of those ancient times and also for people today. Many of those warnings are applicable to our times. But as much as God gifted Isaiah with the gift of prophecy, He didn't love Isaiah any more than he loves you or me. He will reveal himself to you, to each person who genuinely seeks relationship with him. And we have that wonderful assurance that as long as we stay in communion with him, we need not fear what the future brings. As a matter of fact, the true child of God has a glorious future to look forward to. The Jesus who's revealed in the book of Isaiah is the same Jesus we know and serve today. And giving your life to him is the best decision you'll ever make. Please join me on my next podcast as we study more Truth Across Time. I hope this podcast encourages you to develop a closer relationship with Jesus. But if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, I pray you will ask Him to be the Lord of your life today. God bless. See you next week.